Welcome to Destination CMO, a podcast about growth, business, and the power of marketing. With your host, Vincent Famvan, a three-time chief marketing officer, member of the Forbes Communication Council, and a 40 Under 40 award recipient. On this show, we invite our guests to share the most important stories happening today in business and tech, told through the lens of a senior marketing leader. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Destination CMO. Our guest today, I'm so excited to reconnect with Mike Linton. He's an accomplished marketing executive and board member. He's held the chief marketing officer roles at companies like Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and he was also the CRO at Ancestry. So Mike, throughout his career, consistently drives growth and is shaping all of these brands that are quite frankly household brands that we all live with today. And his experience, his expertise extends to a lot of different industries from retail to e-commerce to insurance and genealogy. And we'll talk a little in this episode. My wife's actually obsessed with Ancestry.com. She's got these beautiful trees built out for her entire side of the family. She's mapped out my side, but I need to get on board and upload better photos for everybody on my side of the family. But he's also served on a lot of different boards, including like Pete's, Capella's, Allsworth, Medical Solutions. And so, Mike, welcome so much to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Vincent, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So you and I actually share one former employer together. Working at Best Buy, I grew up on the sales floor. It was my teenage summer job. And it was an incredible place to be able to learn. There's not very many places where as an 18-year-old that you could have a P&L. And granted, it's a small P&L of one department inside the store. But man, what that does as a teenage job in terms of like jumping you into business, I ended up spending 10 years at an incredible company but how did you get started in marketing and how did you think about your career growth throughout your career? So marketing kind of happened to me. I went to college to be a famous writer and then a journalist. And then I realized that's probably not it. I was running a paper and I liked running the newspaper better than anything. So I crash checked the business, went to B school right out of undergrad. And then I decided I wanted to go where GMs got made. So I went to Proctor. And that I thought was a great place. It was a great place to start. The training was fabulous. And I appreciated the blend of math and science. I mean, you had to pass a math yep. test to get in and half of the MBAs didn't pass it. And then I was kind of bit by the marketing bug because one, I liked the interface with the marketplace and the customer. Two, I really loved the combination of the math, the science, and the creative all in one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that you could make and create things. I like the science and the math infrastructure below it. So from there, it wasn't always the easiest career, but it ended up being a pretty good one. And you talked about all the cool things that happened to me, but your LinkedIn or your CV does not always show all the things that didn't go so well. And I had a couple short stints as CMO, and I kept that average of two and a half years or whatever is alive at two of my companies. So Yeah, they don't tell you that when you get into marketing, that of the C-suite, it's the lowest tenure, highest turnover role. But they should, because you know what it's like. It's like being a major league. It's like being a major league manager. It's one of the easiest. Here's what I will say about the CMO job. It is the most inconsistently structured, probably Mm -hmm. one of the most poorly kind of managed by some boards and CEOs. And it's not always valued by that many investors. And so it is kind of almost always in the line of fire. One, because often it's a big line item. 
Two, because mm-hmm. everyone thinks they can do it. And three, it's one of the easiest things to change. Rather than say yeah. our product is no good or our value proposition is off, we just got to find someone who can make people buy this. Yeah, it's different from a lot of other roles where things are not going, or things are going really, really well. You're growing like crazy. You need a good CFO. If things are not going well and you got to cut costs like crazy, you still need a really good good CFO. CFO. I think it all depends on what, and this goes back to my thing, it's the most inconsistent job spec in the marketplace, Mm -hmm. which is, I don't think everybody has the same idea of marketing, even within certain companies. My view of marketing is you got to build sales overnight brand over time. And you got to drive the long-term strategy of the company. And look, we talk, you talked about Best Buy in the open. And I did some marketing things, some general manager at Progressive Insurance early in my career, which shaped a lot of my thinking. And then I ended up as Best Buy's first CMO, which is a job I almost didn't take. Because at the time, very few CMOs in retail had lasted very long. In mm-hmm. fact, my search friends called me up and said, you know what the score of consumer goods CMOs is in retail? (laughs) Retail 100, CMOs lasting more than three years, zero. And I almost didn't take that job, which would have been crazy because I was in Connecticut. I left my previous job, which didn't work out. That was my first head of marketing job. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm going to have to move from Connecticut to Minnesota to a retailer. A lot of my search friends are telling me it's no good. And I couldn't even see a Best Buy. There were none within driving distance. I drove to a crazy Eddie's, <laughs> nobody beats the whiz, and Circuit City. And I talked my way to the general managers and I called the headhunter and said, This is never going to work. Long term for these folks is a month, short term is a week, and I'll be gone in two years. And they prevailed on me to take the interview. And then I took the job with great fear, which was crazy because it was a Camelot for six years. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's talk about the definition of a CMO. Job title is also kind of evolving. So you have the CRO titles, this chief growth officer at some companies. You have some companies where it's a part really tied at the hip with a finance organization and a lot of tech startups. It's kind of tied at the hip with product because you're marketing and building product together. So I think you're right in terms of everybody's got their own definition. Like, let's say you're on a board for a company writing a job description for a CMO, what do you think are the most important attributes and responsibilities in that job? Here's the first thing I think. There's a couple things that all marketers should have. And I honestly consider it more of a marketplace consumer experience job. You might add revenue into that. So I think about this, you ought to have the long-term strategy of the marketplace and how it is evolving and how you want to position the company and the product lineup in the business. You almost always should have acquisition and retention and brand profile. And ideally, you would have customer experience and PR. Those are the big CMO jobs. You might have different jobs if you're in a different descriptions of this, if you're in a VC or PE, depending on the business. But you should always have those big things. But then you may say, gosh, I'm a VC startup. I got to aggregate demand. I need someone that is a monster at just acquisition. Yep. Because I'm going to get to this big size and then we're going to scale. We're going to go to B round or C round. And so I'm going to define the big parts of the job, but then I'm going to skew this job one way. This is a lot different than becoming CMO of, say, farmer's insurance, 
which is an established business. It's big. It's got scale. You're going to spend a lot of money. If you're only good at acquisition, that's not a great job for you. So I will say a lot of times the CMO job is contingent upon the business. And when you get to B2B, you also need totally different element. So when I go back to my, my most inconsistent job spec, I will say it is inconsistent a lot for a reason and a lot because people don't think about it enough. Some of it is that the job is different depending on the company and the business industry. Some of it is people think everybody's marketing is interchangeable and it's good at everything. And that's just not true. When you think about the function driving the success of the organization or the function being a support mechanism for the organization, let's say a lot of people who are listening to this do fall into the bucket of they're a marketing leader, their finance partner, or potentially their CEO doesn't have the same view on marketing as they might. How does somebody approach that? (laughs) I think you ought to really suss that out hard in the interview. So they know what they're getting and you know what you're getting. If they are really looking for a support function, meaning they're going to build whatever product or service they have, and then ask the marketer to primarily do acquisition and maybe put a brand face on the company, that should be really clear in the interview. The other thing that will be really clear in the interview is I think all marketers should go to school on this is if the business is in trouble or needs to grow, what's the real situation? Because the last thing you want to do is come in and be charged with selling something where the problem isn't the marketing. If the problem is the pricing, the value, the product, the fact that a lot of customers hate the company, hate is a strong word, but A lot of customers, if they could make a change, they would change to another business. The marketer may not be able to solve that. Right. And I think you should really have a deep understanding of the financials and the business before you go. And then make sure you're talking to the CEO and the peer group and the CFO for sure. And what's the problem we're trying to solve here? And how do you think marketing fixes it? And I will tell you, one of the things I have never done coming into a new business, I've been in almost always B2C. I've never fired the ad agency because my thing is, if you come in and you fire the ad agency, you are telling everybody, one, I'm going to solve whatever business problem we have with creative. Two, this is going to take usually a half year to a year before you produce anything. And three, if the problem isn't the creative, you've now basically put yourself in a position where you're all creative. You're not about the marketplace or the customer or sales or anything else. And I think that is really a bad first step. And I've never done that. My thing is first, we're going to understand what our customers are telling us and how we make money. And then we're going to build the marketing around that because we're going to market to our customers in a way that we make money. And that may not be brand at all. That may be all acquisition money or PR, or we should cut some of this money and give it back to profit or to sales initiatives. I'm with you. Like my playbook in a new role for potentially a product that's not fully mature. I want to talk to customers who bought to understand why they bought. I want to talk to customers who churned or decided to return something and why that was the case. I want to talk to the frontline employees. Like if it's face-to-face interaction over the phone. Like I want to understand what that person is saying about the product. 
But I think it's a smart move to be able to even, I'd never imagine in a marketing role that I'd be focused on running price sensitivities. But man, when you understand the business and you can form a perspective on it, I think you're right. Like it doesn't matter. The product market fits got to be there in order for the marketing to be effective. And it doesn't matter how good of a marketer you are if there's a problem upstream. Well, I also think the consumer's going to tell you, if you ask the right questions, what is working for them and what is not. And mm -hmm. a lot of times I am very resistant and nervous when people want you to come in and just say, look, consumers aren't buying this. We just need to convince them to buy it. And yeah. if the company doesn't know why they're not buying it, then I think you don't want to get in that position where they, let's say you have a terrible customer experience. Like, let's say you have a TV cable company, which I do. Nobody, <laughs> nobody really loves their TV cable company. They love the shows they get. But if they can, they don't want to do it. And then when you <laughs> call them up and they say, we will give you an eight-hour window for when we might show up, that is actually no marketing in the world that's going to solve that customer experience issue. And so I think when you go into the job, you ought to be thinking about what is the real thing they're bringing me in to do? Can I do it? And then do I have the authority to go with the responsibility? I took the best bite. I took that with great trepidation, which in retrospect was crazy because it was a great job. I kind of said, this is going to take a while. We have great merchants. I mean, best Buy had great merchants, great store operations and great inventory. The company was on a rise when I was fortunate enough to start in late and my whole thing was, I'm just going to put fuel on this, but I'm going to bring the customer position into the company. And that position will help us understand what they're looking for and how to do things. So I didn't want to take anybody else's power. I wanted to build another leg to the stool so that the strength of the company was stronger. And the other thing that we did, that was a great place to hire marketing talent. Nine of my team went on to be CMOs. But one of the things we did was say, look, we are not selling electronics. We're not selling that. We are selling fun. We developed what was called the fun strategy, which was people aren't coming in here to buy a TV or a computer or any of that stuff. They are coming in here to buy excitement, energy, entertainment with their family, technology that lets them be more efficient. This is fun. We called it the turn on the fun strategy and did a whole ad campaign called turn on the fun. And then we worked with the stores to get everything almost out of the cases so people could touch the technology because look, and I started in bar soap, bleach, insurance, <laughs> paper towels, and bath tissue. You would call it toilet paper. So when I got to Best Buy, I was like, this stuff is fantastic. <laughs> you will watch people look and they come in and they migrate to the giant TVs and TVs are fantastic. And then whenever they bought anything, they'd run home as fast as possible to plug it in. And there's very few product lines where you have that kind of energy in it. And so we set up the store to take advantage of that. And that really worked at the time. Yeah. I mean, that's fundamentally, I think, why the experience of going to a Best Buy store is an adult kid in a candy store. Well, yeah, so. it, look, we set it up like an amusement park. They had the racetrack, as you know, around that. But my thing to the company when I got there is all customers are not equal. My mom, who comes in to buy 
a microwave is not worth nearly what Vincent is worth in lifetime value. Because yeah. Vincent, when you start working at 18, you were probably camped on new release Tuesdays and buying everything that came out, and you aspired to buy everything in the store. <laughs> Your lifetime value was enormous and probably still is. Vincent was appreciative of having some of the employee perks of, of being part of the family. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> when you think about like the ideal relationship between a CMO and the CEO or a CMO and the board, how should a CMO go about forming that relationship, setting mutual expectations and communicating along the way? I think you need a good relationship with both and also with the CFO and the CIO for sure. Mm -hmm. First, I'll talk about the CEO. If the CEO is not aligned with you in terms of what you're trying to do, I think that is a problem. And also the timing of what you're trying to do. So, for example, when I went to Farmers, I had known the CEO for a long time before when I worked at Progressive. And I kind of explained how I thought about the customer experience, the marketing, the brand, and how to compete in a really intensely competitive business. And he was behind me with that and backed me as we did segmentation and other things that went forward. But if you don't have the backing of the CEO, it's a tough gig. The second person is you need a pretty good relationship with the CFO. And that that is more on you than on almost anybody else. The CFO has to manage all the investors, has to translate everything, has to run the financials, has to go in front of audit committee. No one wants to go in front of the audit committee. And if they have to translate all your stuff, they're not going to. So you have to come in and talk financial and also let the CFO in. For example, the Best Buy CFO and the Farmer CFO were great partners. And I could explain to them, here's how I'm going to do this year. Here's how much we're going to spend. If you're going to need money, please let me know by X. Or I'm going to smash at Farmers. We smashed 14 websites into one and built it all out into one kind of platform. I'm talking to the CFO there about how much capital I'm going to need for two or three years. I'm not just saying, hey, give me capital to fix this. they got to be on board with this because they're running the whole capital budget. The third person you really need a relationship with is a CIO. If you're not the biggest data user in the company as a CMO, it's kind of surprising but you should be among the biggest. And as more and more data become available to you and more and more personalization opportunities become available to you, you have to be with the CIO as a partner in building out the infrastructure and then the use cases of how you're going to apply that data. So those are important. All the other C relationships are important, but those are the top ones for me. I think the board needs to understand your strategy and thinking. They don't need to necessarily understand your marketing. And here's what I mean. Look, a couple of my companies, I spent hundreds of millions of dollars on media. I don't think the board needs to know how I buy media. And I think a lot of marketers make this mistake. They go in, they want, they want people to buy into their process and understand everything they're doing. I think the board really wants to understand the strategy, the impact of the strategy, and how you're measuring it. And that's it. They don't need to see all the commercials, and they don't need to talk about how you're buying media. They don't need to see your search word performance or your cost per click or any of this other stuff. Unless you are in a private or VC board, that's where they live. 
But all, all your big company boards, no. They need to understand strategy and that you are connected to the rest of the C group. And I'll go back on one thing on this, which is as you think about specking out your CMO job, if you are a small private equity or VC-backed business, there is a great chance that those investors are going to want to go over your line items in great detail, especially if they're a financial buyer and they are going to find looking for improvements in financials. That is a different job, and you should know that going in. And so I encourage everybody on the way in to really talk to all those folks. And then if you can, how the board sees the job in the company, that's also a really good thing to learn. I think those are all great points. I mean, you think of just how marketing has changed over the past decade, and really we're on the cusp right now of even this cookie-less world and moving really all in on first-party data as Google and, and Apple just increase privacy measures, it becomes even more important to be able to leverage technology and be able to leverage the data that you have your hands on. I love what you're talking about in terms of building partnerships across the finance and, and technology organizations. And I think for CMOs that are doing it right, it should almost feel like you have team members that are just like embedded within your team. They know and understand what you're trying to accomplish inside and out. I've always, at Best Buy, created this job called Marketing CFO, which reports to me and the CFO. Yeah. But it's also managing that. I always want my dedicated HR team, dedicated lawyers, and dedicated IT people. And they come to everything. Staff meetings, all hands, everything. And I do not want them like thinking they are not part of the team. And because... You have to do that. And now you're going to slam AI on top of all this to boot, which is going to <laughs> suddenly be a whole new world of, gosh, potentially personalization and programmatic. The ways this goes, who knows? But you need a lot of friends. When you have these embedded folks, because a lot of what you're talking about is like translating between functions, right? It's a completely different language. And yes, in the VC-backed startup, everybody goes deep on CAC because your next and what's more the, fun than talking about CAC? Yeah, and what's more fun than talking about <laughs> CAC and going all the way to, into every click? But your next round of funding is going to be based off of what's the LTV, what's the CAC, and is there a viable business here? But otherwise, for folks who don't live and breathe marketing every single day, you got to translate that and you got to be able to show the value in terms of the broader business. The days of the marketers not being able to speak to numbers are 100% behind us. I think that that was always wrong in my book, but it's even more wrong now. But I'm doing this podcast called CMO Confidential. I'm bringing in other heads of functions to talk about this. I think one of the biggest errors marketers make is their stuff is super important because it's out with the customer. And it is super important, but it's no more important than inventory or labor models or anything else. And as a marketer, the last thing, maybe not the last thing, but you really don't want to hear about the labor model at how Best Buy stores are running. All you want to know is, am I going to have a real issue when we pour gazillions of people through the store for holiday? Or can I have what you people be able to handle? We started rewards on the first loyalty program, I think, in retail at Best Buy. I have to translate for retail. I have to make sure I don't gum up the registers. I make, have to make sure I don't screw up IT, and I surely have to make sure that we can account for this financially. 
That's on me. And I better be doing that before I launch this thing. And what I think marketers should be doing is thinking, they don't want to hear about how inventory is being shipped from wherever. I mean, maybe they do. I kind of find it somewhat interesting. But you don't want to sit to a half-hour presentation on it. You just want to know what's happening. And if you're translating for the board or the CFO, they don't have time to understand your language. You have to translate for them. 100%. What do you think are the mistakes that marketers commonly make in their role? Or what's a time in your career where you made (laughs) a mistake and learned from someone? I made a lot of mistakes. I launched a product at Progressive once that sold absolutely no policies. I had this great idea. I did it. I put it out there and it sold nothing. And finally, after two months, I went down to my boss and said, I'm going to pull this back. And you were, had your own P&L there. And he said, I've been waiting for you to come in because we, <laughs> we wrote a policy. We had to keep that open for six months. And they would have canceled the policy and that would have cost a lot of money. And I'm like, I didn't think deeply enough. I did not, when I went to Remington, I didn't do my homework on the company. It was a PE back play too. And I I didn't set up my decision rights with the CEO. And as a result, he made a lot of decisions that I thought were mine. And when they went bad, they were mine. (laughs) And even when they went well, they weren't mine. And But that was on me for not doing my homework. And what I think the mistakes I see CMOs make a lot is They don't actually spec out the whole job Hmm. before they take it. They don't negotiate in the interview process the authority, responsibility, and most importantly, what are my decisions and what are the companies? Yeah. And then they come in and they start fixing things. This is a big mistake before they understand the financials and the business. I do want to talk about decision rights, which I think are super important. So for example, some of the things I ask is, if I want to move money across departments, I can do that. I don't need anybody to help, right? Because if the answer is other people are helping, then I don't actually control my own money. Mm -hmm. I want control of creative, media, headcount, structure, other things. And if I don't have that, what I have is I am a major league manager, but you as the owner are going to tell me who to play. But then when we lose the game, I'm going to eat that. And I learned that lesson the hard way. And then that changed how I interviewed on the way in. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Most of my life has been spent in these early stage VC-backed companies. And it's always a sub $100 CAC. Oh, we're going <laughs> to grow this to a million people before the Series A. It's going to be a sub $100 CAC. And, That's right. Uh, and then we will sell this for this. And all of you will be rich and will be on. Yeah. And, Right. And so all the long-term <laughs> stuff, what I learned is also in the job spec as a marketer, you want to say, what's your real timeline, particularly if it's VC or PE? Mm-hmm. Because if you have a seven-year idea, yes, a bunch of VCs and PEs will tell you, yes, we'll support that. It's not the same as a long-term entity that isn't going to change hands. Because you may be able to support it. Say you have a seven-year idea and they're going to sell the company in three years. You have to have a proof point that money you're spending is worth it so that when the company gets sold, they get paid for it. They're just, and it's totally rational. And to argue about that, it's wrong as a marketer, that's on you. It really is important that you should understand their timeline and their thinking about things. I learned that one the hard way too. I had this (laughs) idea, we'll do this thing, it'll take five years. And they're like, we're going to sell the company way before that. (laughs) And I'm like, I didn't even think about that. 
Yeah, I, I think those are all really great conversations to have. In the marketing role where it's just so focused on what have you driven lately, you know, these yeah. are conversations that should be coming during the job interview, to your point. It's not like other roles where you can jump on in an HR role and you're going to focus on improving the employee experience from this to that. But man, when the next round of funding comes or the exit or the IPO is imminent and that's riding on the business case, those expectations should be crystal clear, super crystal clear early on. And I also think the relationship between the CFO and the CEO, it's very important because your job, in my mind, sales overnight, brand over time, or we're going to win the short term and set up to win the long term. You have to be flexible enough to move money from short to long term or vice versa based on what the company needs. And in certain businesses like retail, if you have a really bad year, long term gets really hard. And you may be much more willing as a company to sacrifice some long-term things to make short-term sales. And what you want to do is have enough of a relationship with your CFO and your CEO that you can talk about that in a way that you don't starve all the long-term ideas, Mm -hmm. but the company gets what it needs. And if you can't have a discussion on that, it'll come down like this. Vincent, we need you to cut another $10 million by tomorrow. And then you'll say, I'm going to have to cut everything. The way to have that discussion is twofold to me. One is, should be way out in front of that, which is in a month or two, we may have a cash crunch or we may have a crunch. I want you to think about what you can do. And the second thing I always try and have is a little pile of money called brand available or marketing available money, which is I'm going to sit on it for the first half of the year. If the company needs money, I'm going to give it to the company so that I don't have to cut every single thing I'm doing to find the money. And if the company doesn't need it, I'm going to start feeding things that drive even more business and set up for next year. You yeah, have to have your CFO on board with that. 100%. I think all of the relationships that I've had with, whether it's the finance leader or finance team where things are going well, I think part of the challenge in marketing too is like there's things that you can measure over a short period of time. There's things that doesn't matter how hard you try, you're not going to be able to measure it, but you have to be able to place those bets because sometimes those are the campaigns that really pay off and you can make a decision to be able to scale it. But if you're trying to justify that budget in advance, sometimes that's difficult to do depending on what the idea is. What I do think one of the more recent uh, last 10 years challenges of marketing is you can measure last click attribution. Mm -hmm. So you can measure performance marketing. You can measure some elements of brand, but translating it into pure sales is tough. Even though if I ask you to name the most valuable companies in the world, almost all of them would have pretty decent brands. But I think the hard part is, people will look at the non-measurable part, whether it's the brand part or the PR, and assume it is doing nothing when there's no possible way it's doing nothing. And that's what makes it a challenging job is you have to do your best to get that as close to financial math as possible. Yep. There's a million companies out there that are happy to sell you software to try to get you a little bit bit closer. Yeah, I I can buy a gazillion marketing mix models, or I will say a bunch of companies you can prove, and some of my companies I've turned my folks loose where you can prove consideration points translate to sale. 
Like you mm-hmm. can do awareness consideration, particularly among a target market. You can prove that translates to sales. And then you can prove a lot of stuff on retention now. What yeah. you can't prove on retention is the impact of the brand spend versus the customer experience. But you can tag the customer experience almost directly to retention almost everywhere I've been, like using NPS and other things. Yeah, absolutely. When you take a look through throughout your career, I think one of the things that's hard about career development for CMOs is the CMO role is really different at a consumer company versus a B2B company, healthcare industry versus hospitality industry. We've talked a little bit about retail here. How do you think somebody should go about preparing for the next gig when the next gig could take them into uncharted territory? So first, I think you should go to one of the better, if you can, one of the training companies, whether that's a CPG or some of the other companies, they train you really well. Then I think your advantage to go to a company where you get a lot more first party data, whether it's financial services or tech, because suddenly you can start applying all these great consumer or marketplace concepts into these other businesses. If you can, I would say get a GM job or something close to it. I was lucky because I got a GM job at both Progressive and James River. Mm -hmm. And that that made you learn a lot about other functions and line items that you had no idea existed. (laughs) But then how to manage them and also all the other forces on the company. And then the last piece of advice. Oh, there's two other pieces of advice I give. One is When in doubt, changing industries is helpful because the broader base you have, the better. It's not comfortable, but it is super helpful. And then the last thing I would say is you are who you work for over time. And if you work for people that are really good at training and good at developing you and give you chances and put you out there a little bit, but have your back, you are going to develop a lot better than if you are working for someone who's not a very good developer. So... I always encourage my folks to find those developers and stick with them. I mean, one of the things you alluded to earlier is like how many of your previous team members have gone on to grow into CMO roles. Those are one of the leaders that I actually worked for at Best Buy said, you pick your bosses, you go towards the, the people who you think you're going to be able to learn from the most have had the experiences that, that you want to pick up for. And those things do go a long way in a lot of the, the times of training, less formal and more of these kind of informal relationships and mentorship. I look, and I think over time, people don't hire you because you get great CAC. They will, but they'll just hire <laughs> you endlessly over and over to drive great CAC. They want to hire you to be a C-level person. They hire you because you can adapt to the situation, because you can lead, and because you know how to manage the company in the marketplace. And I think if you get good trainers, they're training you how to do that. They're not just training you how to do the nuts and bolts is the wrong word, but how to do the technical aspects of the job. You're not going to get hired because you write great brand briefs and do great CAC. It's not why you're going to get hired to be a big leader. I mean, you might, but then you're going to flame out. You're going to get hired because you can knit all this stuff together, put it inside a company that probably doesn't understand how it all comes together and get the company to go along with it and succeed with it. And that kind of training, you don't get that often. What about life beyond the CMO role? You've had a few CMO roles under your belt. You're doing some (laughs) consulting work. You've started a podcast for anybody who's listening. Check out CMO Confidential. 
But other than you and I starting a podcast, what are the other kind of paths that somebody <laughs> well, could take? I think take? podcasting is the only way to go. No, I, I, <laughs> obviously podcasting is the way. It's obviously podcasting. The The pay is great. I'm just kidding. It sucks. Um, <laughs> Here's what I think. Look, you can move on to a C-level job. You can move on to revenue. When I moved to Ancestry, I, I was marketing and revenue. You can try and get on boards, whether it's public or private. And you can do consulting. I will say the CMO job, it's a harder jumping off point for boards and CEOs than some of the other C jobs. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And I will say to get prepared for that, let's say you want to be on a board or a CEO, you have to be thinking past the job all the time. Like some boards may hire you just because you're a great marketer, but in the interview process, they probably want to know that you're good at strategy. You might be able to help their marketer because they're probably going to have a marketer who's probably pretty good. They're not hiring you to check on the marketer. They're hiring you to be a board member. And in some private equity is, is also, private equity boards are also an interesting one because sometimes they will want you to help train their marketer. So boards are an opportunity. CEOs, if you can do it, I think that's great. It's tough, but a bunch of marketers have broken through. And then you can go on to consulting or anything else, or you can go do more CMO roles. Yeah, I think great all around. And that kind of speaks to what you said earlier, like having a GM role, having a role where you own a PNL early in your career and even doing stints outside of marketing. I haven't spent my entire career in marketing. I've spent time in sales, spent time in operations. It makes you well-rounded and I think keeps your options open in the future. But the piece that I didn't expect that looking back, I know now, they also made me a better marketer because it gave me perspectives to things that I didn't see before. And I think one of the dangerous parts of being a marketer is you see your creative and you see how your marketing comes to life in theory on a slide. But man, where it hits that customer is really the only place where that matters. <laughs> I'm with you on this. And I will say, when I started at Proctor, they sent you out to do sales training. And I think that was a massive eye-opener for me because I was driving around in a station wagon, <laughs> a, a beautiful brown station wagon that I never washed for three months in Minneapolis and St. Paul, and I called on 120 stores. And you think how important your brand is, and then when you get to that store and you realize <laughs> it is like this big in that store, <laughs> and it is counting on maybe like some <laughs> stock boy who's like 19 to put up the display or the packaging that you thought <laughs> and you realize I got to rethink everything. But yeah, I mean, you spent I three weeks scripting it. out the perfect sentence to describe exactly, it. You're, you're, exactly. You're telling me they're not saying it word for word with conviction. <laughs> no. And then you go, when you go to store resets or then when I was at Best Buy, when the vendors come in, I was a vendor and now I'm a retailer. Now I can see a lot of the stuff we sent to the vendors. They didn't care. <laughs> And I should have only done this. The other thing to me, though, that came through all the jobs, and I think if you can get in a, a sales job or a finance job in particular, ideally get a GM job. But if you can't, sales and finance, I think, are very broadening because you see the world from a different perspective. But once you actually see how your stuff does in the wild, it changes how you think about it because you are executing in this wonderful conceptual world and you see all this math and that math is showing you how well your concept's working but when you get in the wild each day is a usually a brutal fight against tough competitors 
and at the front line of sales or where the consumer is buying your products, it's a lot tougher than it is looks. Yeah, and if you can get some experience with that, it's great. Because there's kind of the split where the technology is making it so easy to segment marketing yes. directly to the consumer. So you, as a marketer, you start going, well, I can make this as complex as I want. We can have, we have 44 different personas. They're going to see exactly yeah. what we want them to see. <laughs> when that bleeds over to the intersection between sales and your customer, you got to go back to like, oh, we got to keep this simple. Like, what is the simplest way for somebody to describe this? Well, we did a whole show on simplicity. And I think you're touching on something that is a mistake marketers make is you have all this time and you're arguing with everybody in your company. So you can make things super complex and you can justify why you're worth, why consumers should pay 10% more for your product to yourself in a long-winded discussion, which actually a lot of your company and maybe your board will agree with. Yep. When that hits the marketplace, you have like almost no time to explain yep. it. And if they're on the web, you have no time to explain it. They're just going right. to pull up two different prices. Yeah. And if you don't, if you're not going to win that, if they're price shopping or they don't know your brand, you've lost. Yep. But you have in your head complexifies this thing and said, if we can just do this and then let them talk on yeah. the phone this way and then we'll have customers <laughs> come in here. And then in the end, it'll be great. And what happens is they don't do that. I still love to go to the grocery store because I think that's one of the most brutally competitive marketplaces you can see. You're going to buy a couple hundred things. Maybe, maybe a hundred. Each of those products has like almost no time to call out to you. Right. And every competitor or a lot of competitors are sitting right next to those products with the price per ounce and the labels and yeah. everything. And the idea that someone is going to go there and go, I've been really thinking about my mayonnaise or my peanut butter and Greek <laughs> I really why, wonder what their stand is on this or how this or that. No, it's going to happen in seconds. <laughs> Yeah. Every time I go in with a plan, I walk out with Kirkland. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that Costco is going to send you something for that. So, um... <laughs> well, Mike, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. If somebody wants to learn more, follow you, where's the best place to be able to connect? I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me easily there. My Twitter is Michael A. Linton, and I do the CMO Confidential podcast which you can find just about anywhere. And I had a blast talking about it. I do love the marketing stuff. I have a lot of hope that marketing will ascend to its rightful place <laughs> everywhere instead of just in some places. We're on a mission. All right. We're Thanks so mission. much, everybody. Thank you so much, Mike, wherever you're listening, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, do another search wherever you're listening to this podcast and search for CMO Confidential and follow Mike's pod as well. Mike, great reconnecting with you. Thanks for having me. This has been Destination CMO, hosted by Vincent Famfan. Because marketing careers are often highly specialized and rarely linear, Destination CMO invites senior marketers to share stories and insights from their professional journey. If you liked this episode, join the community by following us on social media. We have links to all our platforms in the show notes. And join us next time for the most important stories in business and tech, explained through the lens of a senior marketer. Thanks for listening to Destination CMO. This podcast is produced by Caroline Pickens and the team at Fresh Picked Studio. For more information, go to freshpickedstudio.com.